So it's exciting. Exciting. So uh, he will be here, uh, return, be, be back with us next Sunday. But this morning, uh, Don and Jean McClure have been with us actually all weekend already. Uh, they were here for our, our Friday night uh, couples banquet, which was awesome. Uh, they were here yesterday for a, a marriage seminar, which was great. Uh, Don has been there from the beginning uh, at the Calvary Chapel movement, started his ministry as an assistant to Pastor Chuck Smith. Uh, he's the founder of the Calvary Chapel Bible College. He's planted numerous churches, uh, going around speaking, obviously. They have three sons and last count, 10 grandchildren and reside in Southern California. So will you welcome Don McClure? Thank you, Paul. He failed to mention I'm also a great-grandfather. And uh, well, actually, I mean, I have 10 grandchildren and I'm a great guy. So I, I figure that makes me a great-grandpa as far as I'm concerned. Everybody else can debate it, but at any rate, well, it's wonderful to be here with you. You've had a great, uh, great weekend, great time in the various things and being out with uh, some of the staff and having some meals and Paul's been great and then uh, Strat and Doreen have driven us all over and uh, taken wonderful care of us, had a uh, great time. And then I see you got the Harvest America coming up. I hope you'll respond and to that great uh, Great ministry, Greg and Kathy have been very, very close friends for, for many, many years. In fact, Jean, when she came in and she saw the, you know, the advertisement for it, she, she took a picture of it and texted it to Kathy Lori, and uh, she, I guess, sent it back and said, "Tell them thanks or something," and but be praying for it, and uh, they reach a lot of people, an awful lot of people. Well, this morning, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And I want to look this morning at Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. So I'll read it if you kind of follow along. Genesis 22, 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I, we will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Well, then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went uh, together. And they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come and open our hearts to you. Lord, we live in a world that day in and day out drains and drains and drains us. So often just sucks us dry of hope and energy and who we are and what we're all about. And Lord, it's so wonderful to have this time where we can just turn all the dials back to zero and sit before you and your word. Say, Lord, speak to me. I need it. So we ask that you would open your word to us, open our hearts to it, and that you would minister to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, you and I are obviously, we're born in a world that's, that's very far from God. And uh, we're far and far away from a comp you know, even a comprehension. We don't even know anymore, most people, who made them or how they came into the world. And, and when you don't know who made you, or you, then therefore you don't know why you were made and why you exist, and you have no goals because if, if there is no maker of you, no designer of you, well, then when have you succeeded? When have you arrived at your creative design? When is life fulfilling to you? And, uh, and tragically, because of that, we've got a, you know, masses of people have no idea because you, when you don't know where you've come from, you have no objective on where you want to be going, and now you write your own definition of success, of when you have now arrived. And, and sadly, I think our nation particularly, much of the world as well, but we almost have just reduced success down to the little bumper sticker you'll see once in a while that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> it's almost like if every year I, the, the bottom line and the, you know, the accounting sheet is a little better than it was last year. If the assets you know, out, you know, are a little larger than the liabilities. And if I'm heading in a positive direction, well, then I must be succeeding. But if, if things are going backwards uh, on that, then I'm failing. And uh, we, the, the sad thing is a time like that. We, many, even as Christians, find those same struggles and stresses in life because we measure ourselves falsely. But at a time like this, it's wonderful to study and look at somebody like Abraham. Because I think Abraham is somebody who teaches us in life. It's not so much the accumulation of what you have, of life that determines success. It's what have you done with it? And uh, how, what's it all about? What does God want to see us do with it? And the wonderful thing I think about uh, as well, when we're looking at, as well at Genesis or at Abraham, is to remind ourselves, you're looking at the foundational book, of course, of the Bible. It tells us who created us, why we're created in so many ways. And as you look at it, it finds for us, you know, so much of, of, uh, of life. Abraham, when we're looking at him, whether you know it or not, if you're a child of God, he's your father in the most wonderful sense of the word. He's the father of the whole Judeo-Christian world. We're grafted into Abraham, we're told in the New Testament, by faith. And uh, here, when we're looking at Abraham, we're looking at somebody there. He's not merely a historic being. He's far more than that. Abraham is our mentor. He's our teacher. What God had to teach Abraham, he teaches all of his children. Every one of them, the same lessons, different processes maybe that he goes through, but, but the same lessons, the same things that Abraham had to learn, so do do we. And I think sometimes we have this tendency, we take these great characters in the Bible, we put them on a pedestal, uh, you know, distance ourselves a little from them because they're extraordinary or they're different, not realizing God says there's nothing extraordinary about them. They're just like you. And I put them there because you're to learn from them. They're your teachers, they're your mentors. And when you put them up on a pedestal, you, you, uh, you, you hurt yourself. And, uh, you know, I don't think sometimes we also realize one day we're, when we get to heaven, the Bible says we shall know even as we're known. 
Can you imagine one day walking down the road and, and you know, there in heaven, and there's Elijah. I mean, there's Elijah. You're like, I mean, these great characters, you know, there's, there's Moses, there's David. Uh, there's the, you know, just in, in, incredible, uh, you know, people. And, uh, and, and to me, I just imagine one day, all of a sudden, there's Elijah. Or there's Moses. And you're Moses. Yes, I thought you looked like Charlton Heston, but anyway, but the, uh, <laughs> I didn't recognize you at first, but at any rate, <laughs> the, uh, but, but there when you look at him, you start talking. You know, inevitably though, you'd, you'd find yourself just asking them things. How, how did this happen? Or you'd be looking in Elijah, maybe saying, Elijah, what was it like? I mean, after maybe you had a little conversation, you kind of have to want to come around, Elijah, what were you thinking when you're surrounded by 450 prophets of Baal and you alone, you there, you look at them and say, if the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him, knowing they wanted you dead. And yet you spoke out that boldness. <laughs> How are we able to do that? But I believe Elijah would look right back at you and look at me and say, well, excuse me. You mean to tell me you were never outnumbered? Your faith, you were in times in your neighborhood or, your, or at the grocery store or at school or, or at, at work that you were in a minority and there to speak up for the Lord. You, your stomach went kind of grounding, growling and, and you're, but you realize you need to speak up. That's what it was like. I, I just went before you. It's just recorded, but you're, it's the same thing. There, you know, there many times there just to learn. I, I hope I was, could have been your mentor. Or when we meet David and then maybe go and have this wonderful, I mean, just exciting to meet with him. And then after a while, we'd have to sit there and maybe, David, I got to ask you something. What's what was it like going up before Goliath? What were you thinking? Well, you're a teenager. This man was a man of war, like a monster. What was it like? What, were you, what was going on? And I believe David would look back at us and say, well, excuse me, you mean you were never up in against any giants in your life? You never came up against something that was so powerful that humanly there was no way you could resolve it. You couldn't handle this yourself. There was no, you know, no answer for it. Uh, God had to intervene. God had to bring you through. Certainly you had those, those times. Or again, when maybe, you know, we meet Abraham, we would, and there's Abraham, you're actually talking to him. Inevitably, we would probably have to ask him, Abraham, what was it like there to take your son? And to, and to offer your son is a sacrifice to God. What in the world? How, 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 what, what was going through your mind? But again, I think Abraham may well look right back at you and look at me and say, well, excuse me, but were you never a parent yourself? Did you ever have children? Didn't you learn that the, you know, the, the, the inability yourself, you didn't have the resources to handle it. You couldn't, you couldn't, you could take them so far, but then God had to take them the rest of the way in life. All you could do is just simply, you, you, you dedicate them to the Lord. I've got to give them over to you. Only you can handle them. I've got to offer them entirely over to you. Didn't you have that? Weren't you a parent? And, uh, and in fact, Abraham wouldn't surprise me if he kind of, with a little twinkle in his eye, smiled and he says, well, besides, at the time, Isaac was a teenager, and what parent doesn't want to sacrifice a teenager now and then anyway, you know, or something? But, but these are very real, I mean, people with real issues in their lives. And just like we all have, they're not unique. And when we sit there and realize how they had to grow in their faith, in their life, and in their walk, well, one of the wonderful things about Abraham as well is that we not only have back here in Genesis 22, and well, in Genesis all through it, you know, his life in so many ways, but 
Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we literally have this, this, the steps of growth that Abraham himself had to go through. Here when we read in Genesis 22, we're looking about 50 years into his faith. 50 years into the journey of walking and growing in the Lord. God did not just, you know, just met him and, okay, Abraham, take your son. No, this was, this was a, the kind of the culmination of a life and a walk of faith. But that's not where it began. It began, it's recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, we'll need to read verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, one of the first things, by definition, what faith really is, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. In other words, you, they, they, here is a world you're entering into that your natural senses can't help you. You see, we all came into the world, we have five senses, sight, taste, touch, hearing, smelling, dug them all. But anyway, the, uh, and, and here, with these senses, uh, as we educate them, as we train them, as we disciple them, in a sense, the more effective we are in this life. The more we, we hear and think and focus and see and take in and absorb into our life and focus on and discipline, the, the, the more successful in one sense in this life we can be. And uh, the, the, they enable us, they equip us you know, to succeed here in the natural world. So we have natural senses that are quite wonderful helping us in the natural world and required. But the interesting thing is, is though, is that they're, they're, they're and, and also, by the way, they're all paralleled in the spiritual world. All the nat I realized one time looking there, all the senses that, that the, the natural you know, uh, person has, the spiritual person has. That is sight. The Bible tells us, oh, behold the Lord. The Bible tells us, but we see Jesus. The Bible tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. The Bible just constantly just look and see. And, and now I've never seen the Lord, not with my natural eye. I've you know, and yet the Bible's telling me, see him, look to him, behold him. All the way through. But yet I can tell you, I, I would love to. I've heard of people that had. The Lord did appear incredibly to him. It just never happened to me. But I believe it. But it's something I can also tell you, though, no, I, though I haven't physically seen him with my natural eye, I have certainly seen him spiritually. I've seen his hand. I've seen his presence. I've seen him transform lives. I've seen him heal and bless and do incredible things to homes and marriages and families and bodies. And, and I, he looked here and I can say without question, oh, I've seen him. I've seen him all over, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I've never smelled the Lord, but the Bible says he's a sweet smelling savor. He's a sweet fragrance. And, you know, I've never smelt the Lord, you know, <laughs> but yet he's a sweet, but yet I can tell you I have. I know that fragrance. I know that, that presence. I know that the, 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 the aroma almost of his nearness. And with it, isn't it? That's, hopefully we are all learning that. I've never touched him, never felt him, and yet I can tell you he's touched me many times. I'm very, getting more and more and more familiar with his, with his touch. I've never heard him audibly. You know, the Bible says, you know, that we're to hear ye the word of the Lord. My sheep, they know me, they hear my voice. All the way, you know, sometimes there's a still small voice behind us that says, this is the way, walk you in it. But I've never heard an audible voice. But my wife disputes that. Uh, she thinks I've heard it many times. Only coincidentally, he uses her voice to do it to me. But, the, uh, but that's true. There's many, many times that I've got to say, you know, you look there and realize that was the Lord. I mean, hopefully, the reason every one of us are sitting here today, 
Hopefully the, the primary reason, the, the greatest reason you ought to be sitting here is I, I don't want to hear a person. I want to hear God. I hear people all week. I hear the world all week. I turn on my TV. I hear everywhere I go. But I want to open the word. I want to sit. And at the end of it, I want to be able to walk away and say, the Lord spoke to me today. The Lord touched my heart today. I heard him today. And that we're, and it's something that, that transcends all human presence, way beyond me or the musician or anybody else. Something happens where spiritually God speaks to us and interacts with us in our lives, and, and we hear him. And that's the issue. But the issue is essentially to me, all that when we look at a godly person or the spiritual mature, you know, a Christian, all that they are, is that essentially when somebody is a growing Christian, these natural senses that have guided their life all through their life, the lower ones, the, the, are, are, are being overruled and dominated by the spiritual ones. We're in the sense that whatever I hear out there, less and less I, I, I care less about it. I want to hear more what I hear from him. I want to see him more. I want to touch him more. The greater those influences are in my life, essentially that's all that produces a godly person, a mature Christian. And that's all that spiritual growth is really essentially all about is, is detuning all the lower ones that dominated us that we, and the Bible calls so often the flesh, our worldly fallen nature, our carnal nature, all of these appetites here that somehow or another they surrender in obedience and in faith to the higher ones and that they begin to dominate. And, uh, and essentially though, that's the process. It's faith, faith, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I now begin to see and hear and touch and taste and handle. You know, the disciple says, you know, about the Lord that, that, you know, that fellow, we have fellowship with him. And we, you know, on one hand, they, they had closer communion with Jesus after the, res, uh, the ascension than they did before. They had it closer. And now he's indwelling. Now just instead of walking with him, now he was inside of them. More real than ever, more powerful than ever. Because they got the memo, so to speak. Now, how did this happen? How does it occur? When I'm saying, okay, I, I acknowledge I have these. <laughs> they're, they're the thing that messed me up a lot, but I've got them. I, those senses, unfortunately, work only too good. I do believe that these there exist, but how do I really surrender to them? How do they work? Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out unto a place that he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. Hear this incredible picture of what is happening here now about Abraham. We see this man there, that when somebody is essentially venturing out in faith, they want to begin to make a transition from their own self to having the Lord be Lord and King and Master. And that, that, that what essentially the very first thing is that somebody there, God is essentially calling out them to go into a place that he should, Abraham, that he would have to receive for an inheritance. God is telling him, you follow me. You go with me, there is going to be an incredible inheritance, an incredible reward for following me. But I want you to know that the very initial process, you are going to go out not knowing where you're going. You see, the first thing that really is happening when somebody is taking the primary step of faith is that they're now going into a place where all of these lower senses know nothing. They've never been there. They don't know it exists. They don't believe it exists. Their world is the only real world. And there's this whole nature within somebody when God begins to call and the Spirit of God begins to tell us, I love you, 
I want to forgive you. I've got a life for you. I can bless you. I can do incredible things for you. But all these lower ones says, who in the world are you listening to? They don't exist. They're not even real. What's happened to you? You need, you, you need counseling. You need a psychologist. You need somebody to bring you back down here to the real, real world. Maybe some of you, when you got saved and you went home and you told your family, guess what, I came to Christ, they looked at you and said, what? You know, yes, I'm giving him over my life. Who? And where, where are you going? I don't know. You don't know. You gave yourself to somebody you really don't know, and now he's going to lead you where you don't know. Yeah. That's where it starts. That's honestly what it is really, truly all about. Where whether it's, uh, you know, our own nature that, that rebels against the people out there who say, what are you doing? We know you're in trouble. We know your heart's heavy. We know your life isn't working for you right now. And so you're desperate and you're kind of reaching out into the unknown. But this, this is not the way to go. This is going to lead you nowhere. This is what the senses tell us. This is what, what we, the, the first battle, because we have to look there and say, when they say, where are you going? You say, I don't know. I don't know. And the, you know, but then these senses say, well, wait a minute. Stop. Hold it, buddy. Haven't I been with you since you were born? Haven't I led you and guided you and you know, been with you and supported you and encouraged you all the way through life? It's, oh, yes, you certainly have. And you've left me into a whale of a mess. You know, everywhere, look at all this stuff, you, all your advice, all your counsel, all your behavior, you know, everything. You ruined my marriage, you ruined my family, you ruined my job. You tell me what to tell that boss. I went and told that boss, you know what, you got me fired, you know, or something there. I, you, you, know, you, you told me what that woman needed to hear. I went and told that woman needed to hear, and next thing I know, my luggage is out in the driveway, you know, or whatever else. They say, what's, you, I don't need you anymore. You're leading me up a creek. You're leading me nowhere. But now the transition is where somebody is willing to go out not knowing whether they went. And Abraham, that, it, it, it's 75 years old. This is what he does. His wife, 10 years, you know, it's 65. I mean, he goes out not knowing whether he went. And amazingly, Abraham did this at a time in life when anybody else in the world would, today would trade places in a heartbeat with Abraham. The historians believe that at this time, Abraham was one of the wealthiest men in the world incredibly wealthy. We don't know how wealthy. We're told that he was highly increased in, in silver and gold and many flocks. But we also get a little hint there, if you know, remember the story of Abraham when his nephew Lot is taken captive by some kings. And Abraham, there, back then there was no police department. There was no armies. You didn't call it the police. There was no 911. Hey, go get my nephew. Uh, if you had any wealth or anything, you had to protect it yourself. There was no government, there was no police, there was no armies, there was none of this. If you had it, you protected it. And here we're told that Abraham, at that time, Abraham went in Genesis 14 and he gathered together 318 of his own trained servants. I mean, here Abraham, when he went to rescue, he had, we don't know how many servants he had total, we just know that he had his own private militia among them. He had his own trained, equipped military to protect what he was. They, they assume, they believe that Abraham, maybe every day, he had between 2,000 and 2,500 mouths to feed. This man incredibly wealthy. And, you know, and uh, with that, I mean, could you, I mean, I'd consider myself incredibly wealthy if I just had one servant. <laughs> just one, that'd be great. Just carry my bags, you know, whatever. 47 years ago, I thought I got one, but the next morning I found out she says, no, that's not going to happen. But the... Uh, but the, the, the thing is, is that here, this man is, I mean, what, a, what an incredibly wealthy man. 
And, uh, and, and here he went out, you know, from a world that everybody else would just dream of going into and having and acquiring. Somebody once said there's two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting what you want. And sometimes the most miserable people, I, in fact, I do, but I, I believe most all the time, the most miserable people in the world are the people that have had both. You look at People Magazine, you know, all these people who had nothing, all of a sudden now, you know, they're football heroes, they're stars, they're musicians, they're, con, you know, and, and you look at them and realize they're the most messed up of anybody in the world. And they've been on both sides. First, they always dreamed what would happen if they got it. Now they got it. And sometimes the most miserable people have been on both sides of the fence and say, it's not here. And yet here, Abraham, he looked over there and he realized probably it's not in either side of the fence. It's another world. And somehow or another, the Lord communicates with him. And maybe, he had, maybe he'd let him tire. Maybe, maybe when he had 1,000 head of sheep and he thought, well, you know, when I get 2,000, I'll be happy. 5,000, I'll be happy. Maybe when he had, you know, you know 1,000 you know, or 200 servants, I get 400 servants. When I get 400 servants, I'll really, then I'll be happy. When I get this, when I get that, whenever what else I get, and then he'd finally one day realize, it ain't here. It's not here. I'm not going to find it here. And then somehow or another, God begins to open his heart and he's willing to go out, not knowing where he went. And those, that's a great time in life. Some of you, it may be right now, you're at a juncture almost, whether it may be your health. Something's going on in your health. You realize change is happening. And, and, and there's some internal, and maybe you just get married. And God's saying, I want you to go out not knowing where you're going. Something's happening, you're a young married couple, or maybe you're changing jobs, moving to another place, or other things that go on in our life. There's a lot of opportunities where something is happening where we can look and say, God, where are we going? What is it all about? But with everybody, not just Abraham, everybody in, in the world, they always start out the same way, going out. And God says, not knowing where you are. I know. You don't need to know. You just need to know who's leading you. You just need to begin to let those senses develop. And that's what you want more than where you're going is making sure who's getting you there, who you're hearing. And you know, get that down. You, you, you get that ear tuned. You get that by, you know, 2020 vision. We got, we got life by the tail. We'll have a great time. But here, Abraham, not only did he have to go out, not knowing whether, and that's the first and primary step. You know, you never go anywhere if you can't do that, not, going where, not knowing where you're going. But secondly, we're told about Abraham and everybody else. Verse 14 of Hebrews 11. For they that say such things, they declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of the country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return to it. And here now it, it is the next thing it tells us there that, that when somebody there, they, take, they make a statement, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. I want to go. I declare, they, by t taking that initial step of going out, not knowing where they're going, that's enough for God says, great, you go. Because now you've made a statement to me that declares plainly you seek a country. But also as he goes out, he says, but... Truly, if you are ever mindful of the country from which you came out, you have opportunity to return. And here is there the next step there is it's one thing to go out in faith. But then the next test is not now, now, now it, 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 it goes to another level. Now it's not the going out in faith. Can you stay out in faith? Not just the going, but now it comes down to the staying. And the staying is, you know, when, when we're going out in something, we, all, we, we just paint the world as we want it to be. 
Oh, this job is going to be great. You know, when you read the little, all it says about it, or this house we're buying, or this whatever we're getting, the going out is always, you know, kind of we just paint the little picture in our mind because we have nothing yet to compare with it other than what we kind of have. But then you get there and reality can set in. And now the staying out in faith is a new test. It's interesting when you look at Abraham, and, and I'm sure you know the story, but Abraham, when he launches out in faith to go and seek a country, and God had promised him incredible blessings, an incredible inheritance you have. I mean, here this man is looking at all that he has, and God says, don't worry about that. I've got something so far beyond it. And here you got Abraham. Now, what could compare with what I've got? I don't know, but I believe it. I'm going. He's heading off into who knows what. But if you know the story, which I assume you do, of Abraham, when he actually, in obedience, goes out, arrives in the promised land where God led him. Do you remember what he was greeted with? Anybody? What do you study here? No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> Abraham, when he got there and he arrived in the land, he was, he was welcomed with a famine. He arrives in faith, in obedience, in trust. And what does God reward him with? A famine. And maybe I can imagine Abraham saying, Lord, really? You shouldn't have. Honest, you shouldn't have. You know, I mean, the, uh, he's looking there and wondering, what is this? I mean, here he, he's got all these mouths to feed. He's got all this whole world. And now he's come out. He's uprooted. He's left everything behind. He plainly stated, Bola, I'm heading off. And everybody sees him go. And now he arrives. And now he gets there and he looks around and there's nothing there. He's got now all these people to take care of. Now there, to me, and, and there's no question God would have taken care of him. None whatsoever. There's the only, the, the, we'll just never know how he would have because he didn't stay, if you remember. That Abraham, you know, he did, he, now on one hand, you got to credit him. He didn't go back to the country from which he came. He'd had enough of Earth Chaldees. But he did the next thing that, that most of us do when we're struggling. We help God out. He turns there and he realizes there, I mean, nobody gets to be this wealthy and this powerful without being a pretty shrewd, smart guy in the natural. And at any rate, so he gets there and he's a famine. He looks around, what am I going to do? And instead of by faith, praying and waiting, saying, well, Lord, you're going you're gonna to take care of me. You're going to take care of all these. I know you will. But rather than that, he helps God out. He, says, he thinks about it and he says, well, he realizes, well, you know, there's a famine here. There's no famine down in Egypt. I'm a very, very wealthy man. I can go down there and trade, deal, negotiate, whatever I got to do to get to help God out, help him, you know, get, you know, get the people fed, come back here and pick up. And maybe I arrived too early. Maybe he wasn't ready for me. Maybe I don't know what will happen, but I'm not giving up on him, but I am going to assist him. I'm going to help him. He, you know, you know the, he's clever, but I'm clever too. And so here, Abraham, you know the story. Off he goes. And while he's on the way down there, though, then, you know, then he thinks a little bit more. By the way, men are like this. Women aren't like this. But men, we, we get a big vision. We launch off. Honey, we got to go do something. We're going to do this. And, and women, basically, you're, uh, I don't know, the, you're, you're a problem. You're, but, I mean, you, you're kind of a proverbial stick in the mud, you know, sort of a thing. You, you slow us down. The buccaneer spirit in us when we go off with details. Stupid details like, like, you know, what about the children? And we, children? We have children? Stick them in the trunk. I don't know. Don't slow me down, you know, or something like that. But Abraham, without really thinking much through, off he goes. And, and all, he's on his way down there. And while he's on the way down, he realizes his wife Sarah is a very beautiful woman. 
Realizing as well these pharaohs think they're gods, and if they see anything that they want, they take it. And if it happens to be a woman, takes it. If the woman happens to be married, well, bye-bye, husband. So Abraham sits down with Sarah and says, Honey, wait, you know, I, I, I got a little problem. I, and don't worry about it. I'm sure it's nothing, you know, at all. But potentially, I mean, you're very beautiful. And she said, Well, thank you. I haven't said that in a while. And he said, Well, actually, it's a problem today. But anyway, the... <laughs> Uh, these pharaohs, you know, if, 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 I, 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 great thinkers plan for the, you know, the worst possible thing and then how to solve it. So that's all I'm doing is just planning ahead. Probably won't happen, but if it does, here's how we're going to solve it. If we get down there and we, and we meet Pharaoh, which we probably will, the amount of business we're going to be doing, incredible. So, I mean, we'll probably, the negotiations will be heavy, but, and, and if he happens to notice you and inquires about you, we're just going to tell him that you're, that, that you're my sister that it may, may be well for thee uh, and me, uh, mostly me. But anyway, the, uh, so, I mean, he, but he figures he's got the thing all settled. And, the, and, you know, God has such an incredible sense of humor sometimes. So I, he, I, just, I think he just probably, Abraham, you know, so you're such a smart guy. What a plan. In fact, that's such a good one. Let's just go with your plan now. You know, because you know the story. He gets down there. Pharaoh does see her, does inquire about it. He says, my sister, oh, so she's available. Well... <laughs> You want to know why? You know, or I don't know what he's. But anyway, he said, uh, but, but Pharaoh comes to him. He says, hey, you know something? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a smart guy. I'm a smart guy too. You came down here to negotiate. You came down here to buy a lot of stuff, to deal, all the stuff to get yourself through your famine. I got boatloads of it. I got everything you need. I'll give it to you. And in exchange, I'll take your sister off your hands. What do you say, Bro. You know, I mean, and probably Abraham, like a deer in headlights, he says, okay. <laughs> he does the deal. If you can imagine Sarah watching this come down. And here is this then happens, the Bible tells us. When Pharaoh is about to take Sarah to himself, that God stops him. So you can't have her. What do you mean I can't have her? <laughs> she, she was very expensive. And the Lord says, they're all expensive. Don't worry about that. But the, it's in the Hebrew. Just believe me on that. But anyway, he said, you can't have her. Well, yeah, you can't have her. It's that man's wife. No, it's his sister. He told me sister. Sorry, Pharaoh. The guy's got a lion problem. I got to work on that. Too. He didn't tell you the truth. You can correct him and talk to him, but just give him, just send him home. And uh, can't have her. And uh, so Abraham, <laughs> you know, come home. I, you know, I don't know if they have movies and having an instant replay or video. I'd love to see the trip home. Probably a silent movie, but I'd love to see the movie, you know, <laughs> the trip home. But anyway, I mean, oh, how often in our lives and our marriages and our ventures of faith, we go out and we do launch out and then we step in to help God and we've got some wisdom and we got something and God lets us go. And yet through that, though, it's a time where an opportunity to show his mercy or his grace and he gets us out of it, helps us through. Abraham builds an altar, gets back, comes back, you know, with his tail between his legs, kind of. But there, you know, because you see, the going out in faith is always different than staying. You see, there's something about us. There's something about the adventure of going, like I had mentioned earlier. You know, some of you maybe remember falling in love. And remember, you know, there as you just, oh, she's it. She's, you know, oh, he's my knight in armor. Oh, shining armor or whatever. Oh, I love him. Oh, I love her. And better ask her quick before she finds out more details, you know, or something. And so you do. And she said, okay. Remember how exciting it was, falling in love. Or maybe your, your, your first job. 
you studied, you trained, you got equipped, and you go and you hear there's a job, and then you go in an interview, and you find out there's 20 people looking for the job. And, you know, oh, God, give me the job. It's, it's perfect for me. I'm trained for that. I can do that job. You know, and then it goes down to 10 years still, and it goes down to five years still, and you're praying like crazy. It goes down to three, and then one day they call you and say, you got the job. Remember, you're dancing around, I got the job, I got the job. I got, or, or your house, maybe, or something. You, your first home. You're going to settle down, have a house, white picket fence, swing set. In the, all these pictures that we kind of have. You go out and remember, you know, we got to get this house. God give us the house. And the realtor helps negotiate. And the people come down on it. You, you can't afford it. But you, so you offer them a whole lot less. God, please touch their heart. Have them sell it to us. We're just getting started off. And the people there said, you know, they're a young couple. We'll, we'll lower the price for them. And the bank says, okay, we'll give it to you. And, every, and you remember getting a house, dancing around. We got it all. Or your first child. Remember there, you know, there, we're having a baby. We're having, you know, one of the things I've never understood, my generation, you said, she's having a baby. Now everybody says, we're pregnant. I look at the guy and says, you are. <laughs> okay, but anyway, I, I would never have said that. My, I would say, she's pregnant, not me. But anyway, but here you, here I'm, but the excitement, we're having a family. How wonderful and exciting all this is. But then the, that's, that's that kind of the going out. You know, but then the, you know, the, the thing is, is that the, the going out, like the, you know, and, and how exciting it is initially, but now the staying, you get the, you get the job. But one of the things we never ask when we get the job, we go and there's your cubicle, here's your computer, here's the, whatever it is. We never, we never seem to ask, what, what happened to the last guy that had this job? Where'd he go? And then after we've worked there a month, we find out where he went. He never got paid. He was worked like crazy. The boss lied to him. And he came in there and threw his computer on the floor and said, you can take this job and shove it or whatever else. And, and now it's your job. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, the staying out it, 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 it is a different world. Or that house. We never wonder, why was the house so cheap? Why did they come down like that? And then, you know, here the roof leaks, there's varmin living in the walls, the uh, electrical shorts out, everything's wrong, we're having to do all this stuff. And then we find out later, it was actually a Christian couple, they were selling the house as well, and they too were praying, Lord, there's just got to be one sucker out there, that's all we need is one. Find him for us, and they can have the dump, you know, or whatever else. And now it's your house. You know, <laughs> You know, or that teenager, that baby that came into the world, he's so, he's so wonderful, now he's a teenager. <laughs> now, something so exciting, now he's a teenager, and you say, God, just kill me now, just, just finish me off, you know, or something. Or that woman that you, no, I'm not going to go there with that one. But, but, but the point is, is it's, it's one thing to go out. It's another thing to stay out. In. And you see, we've got a, a world here around us that the staying out. It's a whole new dimension of faith. It's a whole new thing there. I mean, we're, we sit in a world there where there's tension in the marriage or the family, and the world says, you don't need this. This isn't what you planned or what you promised. This isn't what it was all cracked up to be. There's a lot of fish in the sea. You've got one life to live. Come on. Count your losses. Move on. You don't need this. And yet the Lord sits there with another set of senses, and he says, you stay out. I've got a wisdom. The lower ones that you're listening to don't. I've got a patience, I've got a love, I've got a, a, a kindness, I've got, you know, I've got a long-suffering, I've got a reward for you, I've got something, if you will stay, 
Don't walk away from this. And, you know, and, the, and, and, and that's, that's the test. It's one thing to go out, but then the next thing is really coming to a place there where there's a staying out in faith. And then perhaps the, the greatest and the ultimate of, of, of faith and step of it and process of it is where we began. But in Hebrews, and that is in Genesis 22, but in Hebrews eleven seventeen, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now here we have, as I mentioned earlier, God doesn't, he didn't start out with this with anybody. This is, this is, this, this is where it, it is, though, where I believe God wants to end up with everybody. What is happening here is what I believe is not unique to Abraham. It is something in the desire of every person God ever begins to work with. Ever he begins to, you know, to work in. And that is to offer up all in faith. Everything. It took Abraham about 50 years to get to this place. God wouldn't ask him in a year or two or five or ten. Wouldn't even bring up the topic. But it was where we realized now he was always going. And here essentially a lot of people look and say, God, why? What are you doing? What's going on here? You know, they offer up your son as a sacrifice. And, uh, and here essentially what is occurring? You know, we look at this, but, but you've got to realize when you're looking at Isaac, you're looking at everything God ever promised Abraham. God had taken Abraham out and he says, Abraham, look north, south, east, and west. All of this have I given unto thee and to thy descendants, thy seed after thee. And then, and, and then he looked and he said, look to the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, so shall thy descendants be. And Abraham says, oh, let's go. I'll follow you. <laughs> the land, I'm in. Stars, and I'm, I'm in. He didn't know God. This is where they just began. God's promising this incredible world out there. An inheritance outshines anything he ever dreamed of in this life. And then he goes on, he says, hey, there's more. There's more, Yes. What else? Abraham, through your line, the Messiah will come. You're kidding me. No, don't kid. Let's go. I'm in. Off he went. He didn't really know God. He just got all the stuff promised. He had no relationship yet to speak of. But then he said, well, there's, there's actually more. There's more, yes. Abraham, whoever blesses you, I'll bless them. Whoever curses you, I'll knock them off. I like that one too. <laughs> so I'm in. And off Abraham went. He didn't really know the Lord yet. Not like, but yet, but yet after 50 years of God forgiving and loving and helping him, getting through one crisis after another and working through all the myriad of issues within his life. Essentially all that is asking here, because you see everything God ever promised to Abraham was wrapped up in Isaac. All of it. Every promise. One nice, neat little package. Isaac. And now God comes, he says, Abraham, will you give me Isaac? And you sit there and think, I, I get the first one. I get, the, I, I get going out by faith. I get it. I understand that. And, I, and I, I get the staying out in faith issue. I got that one too. I don't get this one. Well, the question is really very, very simple. All God is asking Abraham is, Abraham, I wouldn't ask you. You didn't know me a year or two or five or ten. But after 50. I want to ask you something. Am I more precious to you than anything I've ever given you? Is, is the hand any more precious than anything that's ever been in the hand? And that's kind of the ultimate issue, isn't it? That's, that's where love is at the refined at the highest. You know, one of the things I can, I mean, I'll be, when, when I met my wife and I fell in love with her, I just saw a lot of promises, <laughs> a lot of potential. 
I just, I mean, she was beautiful, she was enjoyable, she was social, she was happy, she had all of the, I mean, to me, what a package, I didn't know her. I just, I just wanted to, I'm looking at the package and figuring out and hanging around the package, I like this, and gift and skill and all that. Man, incredible wife. I'm going to go places with her. And in fact, I have gone places with her. The only reason I think sometimes I'm in the ministry is I married a pastor's wife. And so God says, you've got to go in the ministry because I want to use her. But anyway, the, <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is that in the process of it, I, I never really thought with, I mean, I, you, you, in terms of my own nature, how much I was looking to get out of this. And, but I, but the, the ultimate thing is, is that one day when you, when you can honestly look, like I, I believe without question, I, can't, I can look at my wife and say, you know something? I love you more than anywhere we've ever been, anything we've ever done, any blessings we've ever had, anything we've ever accomplished. Through the process of this journey together, you outweigh it all, this side of heaven. And that's, what, that's the, when love is at the purest. And you know, this is ultimately where God wants to bring all. I don't think he ever gets with a lot of people this place. Because they're still struggling with going out and staying. Spend a lot of their life right there. But the richest of them all is when he comes and he says, Abraham, take now thine. And you know, the interesting thing, that happens to us. You know, all these things that we came in, you ever notice the lower level? You know, things that, all these senses that were so good for us when we are young. As time goes by, they go away. They weaken. They fall apart. You don't, you don't see so well. You know, the, I, I had, or things break down. I had a stroke years ago, lost the vision in my right eye. I can get a light through it, but that's, you know, but the, uh, uh, but I don't see so well. I wear hearing aids. I've had a hip replacement. I, uh, I've had, I had a lung thing. They thought it was cancer. Emergency surgery took me in, took out a lobe of my lung. And uh, they want to do my you know, I mean, the, you know, my, my wife wants to put on my tombstone. May he rest in pieces. I mean, I'm just little things. Going. But the, uh, fortunately, I still look great. But the, uh, but the rest of it's whacked. You know, I mean, everything else is breaking down. All of these things you, you don't hear so well. I see enough gray hairs. You know what I'm talking about. You don't hear me talking about it, but you see my lips moving. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it all goes little by little. The Lord comes to you and he says, take now thy hearing. Take now your walking. There'll be, maybe there's some, you know, you, you, walkers got canes. Maybe you take now thy sight. Little by little, these are going to go. But the saddest thing with so many people in life, if they've never developed the higher, as these things begin to be minimized, that person living with those things gets very angry and bitter and empty. Life is terrible to me. I can't see anything anymore. I can't hear anything anymore. I don't know what's gone anymore. I don't know what's gone. You know, it's gone. You know, you just sit there and say, well, why don't, let's pray you die. You know, or something. I mean, in a sense, in Jesus' name, of course. But the, uh, but the, the point is, is these are going. They're going. And either, and, and if, but if we have these that have replaced them, when we can look there and say, Lord, you can have it, just replace it. It's going to go. I can't stop that. But I can determine if something's going to replace it. And I don't know about you. I want to be somebody who my children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, I hope to have. You know, or one day maybe you're coming in, you know, and they're coming in and say, I hear somebody say, Papa, or say, who is that? Louder, you know, or something. Well, it's me, Chase, or somebody Come over here, boy. 
Uh, and he comes over, you know, what's, what's up, boy? How are you? A little out. I can't see, so sit down here, you know. You know, Papa, what? Is, is it true, Papa? Is what true? What are you talking about? Mimi, Mimi says you're dying. Papa, are you dying? I want to be able to look at my you know, children, grandchildren, or whatever they are, and say, Mimi said I was dying. Don't, don't pay attention to her. She's always wanted Papa dead. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I want to be able to laugh. I want to and I say, Papa's not dying. Papa's about to live. I see. Don't you see what I see? I'm right on the threshold of eternity. Can't you hear him? Can't you touch him? Can't you smell it? I want my kids to envy me. I want them to, to look at me and say, I don't see the world you see. I don't hear what you see, but, but I want to. You make me want to. I envy you. I want to say, oh, I, you know, I used to have all the natural senses, and uh, you think they're all, they're not what they're cracked up to be, but these are incredible. But you go out, stay out, and then offer up. And as we close today, if you're a child of God, we're all somewhere in the journey. Or all that should challenge every one of us in one way or another. Because that's all the journey really is all about. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for your love. And Lord, we ask that you would, Lord, take us, each one of us. Maybe some of us today, the greatest challenge, we're going out, we're stepping out. And Lord, is taking all the faith in the world, our knees are knocking. And yet, Lord, heaven, you say, go, go, I'll be with you. In fact, while we're praying, maybe there's some here that are just, you're stepping out, you know. Maybe you don't know the Lord or you do know him, but right now you're at a juncture in your life. He's saying, go out. I want to pray for you. Would you just lift up your hand and put it down wherever you are? God bless you. You, a few hands around. Maybe others of you, oh, you've gone out. Now it's the staying, the home, the family, the job, the career, the pressures, whole new world. Jesus says, you stay, I'll reward you. You stay. If that's where you're at, the staying test, lift your hand up before the Lord and we'll pray for you. Many hands. And then maybe some of you here that, that you've gone out and you stayed out, you know those. But now it's the offering up. Now you're a place in life where it may be your health, your wealth, your legs, your arm. Maybe you've lost a mate. But to say, Lord, it's all yours. Maybe that's where you're at. If that's where you're at, you lift up your hand before the Lord. Lord, I thank you for all these hands. And Lord, I pray that each life, each one, that Lord, you would touch them and teach them and bless them. And Lord, they'd come out and realize, Jesus, I'm in the journey. I'm in it with all my heart. Help the ones that are going out if today is just opening their heart to accept Jesus Christ. And they go into a world where they know you, but now it's a new challenge and they're going out not knowing where they're going. Bless them. And Lord, those where the enemy is telling them, you can walk away anytime you want because the lower senses have no help, offer no wisdom, no love. They are drained dry. But yet your senses say, well, you haven't even begun with my resources. Lord, help us to say, I'm staying. Now show me. And then, Lord, the offering up, Lord, with each one, would you take and bless and help? We ask it in Jesus' name.